Anonymous Eskimo, episode 15. Maksakten. Hello and welcome to the Anonymous Eskimo Recovery Podcast, where my guests share their stories of recovery and hope for people still struggling with alcohol and drug addiction. I'm your host, Ralph Sara. Today we have one of my friends, somebody who I consider a friend, on today's podcast. He is a peer support specialist for CITC, an all-around good guy. Father, husband, Rob C. Hi, Rob. Hey, how's it going, man? That's a, that's some intro. Is that you playing on the guitar? <laughs> Actually, it is. Isn't that funny? That's what I thought. Man, you're good. I mean, you you can play play. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, when I was starting to think about doing the podcast, there's a usually an intro song or something, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to pay for one, so I just. Right. Was like, you know, I don't want to give rights to have no rights to do this song or whatever, you know, copyright your own drop, do your own placements. I like it. I Heck like yeah. It. I, I just I just went ahead and, and played something that I've been playing for, I don't know, years, never did anything with it. And it fit perfectly, you know. You're good, man. I mean, I, you might, I might have to have my son take some lessons from you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being a guest on my podcast. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm just glad you're doing this. And, you know, kind of like what we said earlier, man, you never know what seed is going to be sown and how that's going to produce. But I believe that uh, that there will be a harvest from this. So thank you for having me. It's a privilege. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, um, I, I was mentioning to you that I've already received some positive feedback through email and through, you know, Facebook Messenger. People have already reached out and said, you know, basically thank you. And they related to a lot of people. I tried to do something where it's not focused on one area of recovery. You know, I want to try to put all types of recovery out there so people, you know, are not just funneled through one way. You know, if they have some other way to do it, man, more power to them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's that's very important, especially right now. Um, I was speaking at a treatment center a couple of weeks ago, and I, I don't know, call me crazy, but I just feel like there's like this uh, like this recovery revival going on. You know what I mean? And uh, where there's like an actual, um, you know, kind of a little sector of uh, of it being cool to be sober right now. And uh, I think it's it's a good representation, and I think you're a little bit a bit above the love the curve in that. So, man, I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens with it. You are not lying. You know, I've been on Facebook uh, and 
lately there's been I've I've been I've, I don't know if it's just because I've been in recovery, but I've been noticing a lot of people saying, "Hey, man, I'm sober now," and and people just praising them and saying, "Good for you," and keep going. And there's a lot of posts being posted about sobriety. It's just uplifting, you know, especially during this pandemic where everybody's isolated and there's no connection, you know. The only connection a lot of people have is through Zoom now, you know. Right. I see you every every Wednesday and Saturday. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I love it, man. I mean, I'm glad for that connection. I think that uh, one thing about recovery, those of us that are in recovery, whatever form it is, one thing we all can agree upon is um, the aspect of being connected. It's such a huge part of recovery. It's a huge part of being in the community. And um, a lot of these principles that we learn, that we get to learn in, re- in recovery, are just life principles. You know what I mean? There's spiritual disciplines that are, a lot of them are very ancient. And um, people like that, you know, whether they're sober or not, you know, yeah. people want to live a disciplined and spiritual life. So we have a lot to offer in that regard. Right. And I'm, I'm I'm pretty new to recovery myself. I went to the treatment center and then I've been out doing this myself. And when I started this, it was really selfish, you know, selfishly trying to keep myself sober because if I'm not doing this podcast, there's something going on, you know what I mean? But Absolutely. since I've been doing this, it's been so awesome because I've been getting, like I said, emails and texts and and messages saying, you know, keep doing it. We need this, you know. So I've been, I've been yeah. happy to have a lot of different people on, and I'm happy to have you on, Rob. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. I, I, I remember you talking about a little bit early in your recovery um, about times like this, man. So it's really surreal right now, and uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And this is the way you give it away, man. And uh, people are going to feel that. And it's going to keep you. It's kind of like that's that's, that's a, the purpose. It's like I, I stay in service by doing these things that I love. Oh, but yeah. also keeps me sober. <laughs> you know? it's, 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 like, it's a different way of doing it, but it's doing it, right? <laughs> absolutely. 100%, man. So, Rob, so our listeners can get to know you. Can you go ahead and tell us about yourself in your own words? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, uh, just background or just all around and, and with some history or. Yeah, tell us about yourself and, you know, introduce yourself. Yeah, okay. Well, like you said, I'm, I, my name is Rob. I am, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm raised in Portland, Oregon, but I've lived in um, Alaska now for 16 years. I am a husband and proud father of three boys and one stepdaughter and my stepdaughter in the last year has had a child. So I'm officially a grandpa, which is weird. Ooh, really? <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah, I'm a grandpa, man. I can't believe I'm a grandpa. Well, congratulations, grandpa. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's just weird. It's, but yeah, you know, I'm a family man and um, I just love life. Um, I've been sober for about, uh, February 3rd of 2018, that's when I got sober. And um, I do recovery, man. Like you said, I work peer support. And uh, what that looks like is just coming alongside um, people in in recovery, you know, whether it be in treatment facilities, outpatient, inpatient, um, no patient, um, and, <laughs> and try, to, try to support their recovery. Sometimes that's take, giving rides to people to meetings. Sometimes it's giving advice to people to court to 
hospitals to whatever it is, man, I get to be like the connector to enhance people's recovery, which in turn enhances my recovery. That is so awesome. I love how people pick careers that give back to people like you do. You know, it, it has to be so rewarding. It's, it's very rewarding. And, and the, the crazy thing about it is, you know, um, you know, I've been, I, I've dealt with uh, drugs and alcohol pretty much all my life. And I did heavy, my heaviest drinking probably was actually, besides the last year of my using was, was in high school. You know, I partied a lot. I was a blackout drinker and um, I was able to get out of, I mean, I was on probation. I was very delinquent. And um, when I got, first time I, I tried to get sober and I had some, a little, some sobriety time, I was 18 and I went to school, I went to college and I was wanting to get into uh, criminal justice and, you know, social services and to do the kind of work that I'm doing now um, because of my, and then I ended up falling off, you know, and doing what we do. It took me about 20 years to try get to this point. And so I thought, my thought, you know, when I got sober was like, okay, I'm going to get sober and then um, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to be able to do this and uh, you know, then then maybe down the road I'll be able to give back. You know, find a career path, and uh, ha- and, and the things that I've learned, miracles of recovery, is I started getting service right away. You know, I mean, literally in the first week of of uh, getting sober, um, I started saying yes to my recovery and ways of serving other people. And now, you know, the position I'm in, I never thought I thought I would have to go to go to school and get a not only uh, a four-year degree, but maybe a master's and all this stuff. But man, you know, um, it's it's been two years. You know, this, this life got really good. And somebody asked me if I was interested in, <laughs> in applying for this position. So I think that um, the more that you put into your recovery, the more you get out of it. The more you say yes to recovery, then, you know, you get put in position to where you can help people. You know, and that's what I've done. Man. It has not been on any kind of plan that I thought I was going to achieve. Man. So wow. recovery's fun. Yeah, I, I loved to see you at, at uh, when you went to work there at ETC. It was so fun. Right. <laughs> I love that. I love just being around you guys. And You know, I know one thing I always said to you guys, and I say to everybody, is that, you know, I'm getting more if I'm getting at least just as much or more out of the groups that we have and the encounters that we have, you know, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Rob, uh, can you go ahead and tell everyone what things look like before you got sober? Yeah, absolutely. Well, before I got sober, before I even had a drink, you know, um, I, I, you know, like a lot of us, I felt like I didn't fit in. I was a, a mama's boy, huge mama's boy, um, got embarrassed easy. And, um, I just felt, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in, you know, just, just restless, irritable, discontent well before I ever had a drink. And so I would do things as a kid to try to get out of that feeling, that uncomfortable feeling. And, um, what that looked like was, I used to watch a lot of TV shows and, and, and like imagine, I had a big, vivid imagination. I'd pretend I was the hero or the bad guy or whatever. I had just this vivid imagination. I'd play sports. Um, I played basketball outside for hours at a time, pretending I'm one of my favorite players. And, um, those are just like some little techniques that I used. And then I started playing sports and I became a little popular and I just was able to get relief 
from what I actually felt like by immersing myself in different roles. But um, I think, you know, I had an older sister who who ran with a kind of a rough crowd, you know, like pretty much my sister ran with pimps, players, and hustlers. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, partying and drinking was a big thing. And I got into that a little bit and nothing quenched that feeling of restlessness, irritable, and discontent than having that first drink. It just felt like on the inside I was at the party and I actually felt like I was invited to the party. And that worked for a long time, man. And along with that, it cured a lot of those fears. Um, my father, he was a very polarizing figure. He just part of he's an alcoholic you know, did what he want when he want, and we all had to get out of his way while he was getting it. And my mom, she was the absolute opposite. You know, she was a saint. She, um, you know, she, she taught me right from wrong. Her and granny, I was raised by some strong women. I knew what was, I knew the difference between right and wrong, but um, my role models were either amazingly strong and generous and kind, and then the others were just rolling stones, you know, and so that's how I saw life in black and white. <laughs> and uh, and it was tough to differentiate that and, and, and pick and choose what I wanted to be. But man, when I first started drinking and um, that just took it all, took it away. Delinquent behavior was another thing that I did that got me out of that, that restlessness. And so, yeah, like I said before, I spent a lot of time um, in, and I was in and out of juvie as a juvenile and um, juvenile detention on probation and drinking on the weekends, getting in trouble, uh, getting arrested, fights, selling drugs. Um, you know, life was just a party. And the only thing that kept me really grounded and somewhat in a, that saved my butt really was that I could play sports and I had some loved ones behind me from other members of the community outside of my family who kind of just took me in and, and just held me together until I could love myself and graduate from high school. You know, my senior year was the year that, you know, before before my senior year, like while, while I'm ripping and running, I'm drinking on the weekends, but I'm blacking out. People are telling me all these crazy things I did because I don't remember anything. I remember thinking I didn't care regardless because I wasn't going to live past 18. I was going to, I was, you know, my, my life expectancy was like an expectancy of a firecracker. That's how I lived life. <laughs> and, um, so when I got to my senior year and I saw that there was a little bit of hope at the end of the road, um, I started thinking about things like, started thinking about the things I was taught as a kid about God and about purpose and is there really a God and my purpose and what I can do. And right about the same time, I had met this guy at my high school who was the, the known like evangelist of the school. You know, he, he went to, he had a youth group and always inviting people to church and I went to a school where uh, uh, my high school, our freshman class, there was a, probably about, there was like 1,200 of us. And I think by my senior year, 400 people in our freshman class. And out of that 400, I think 162 people graduated. It was pretty bad. Drugs, alcohol. Right now, that school is, to put in perspective, that school got shut down. <laughs> it's no longer a school. And uh, But in the middle of this school, there's this guy named Mike. And uh, he... Just he, he just loved he loved Jesus, man, and he went around evangelizing and trying to get people to go to church. And you know, he talked to me once, and I kind of shunned him. And then he talked to a buddy of mine, and my my buddy just just went off on him and started making fun of him and had the whole class laughing at him. And 
I don't know, man. I had some kind of um, moral conflict with that at that moment, you know. And I was like, hey, why, why are you messing with him? You know, he's trying to help you. And the guy looked at me and was like, hey, well, what about you, Rob? Everybody looking like, ooh. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man. It was just his boldness and his, he uh, it just drew my attention. And um, that's what introduced me to um, to church and to God. And I went home and I prayed and I cried and had a spiritual experience. And I was able to stay sober for a couple years after that. The problem is I still had a lot of hurt from as a kid. And I, even though I learned some, some very important principles, and truths that are still principles and truths that are in my life right now during that time at church. Um, I didn't learn how to clean the wreckage that was inside of me. I had still had this idea of, you know, I had like this performance mentality, you know, people, I really put, put how I felt like I felt good as long as everybody else was giving me self-worth. I depicted my self-worth off of what people said of me by the, by the praise of man, I guess you would say. People pleaser. And when these, I was a big, big, big people mm-hmm. pleaser, man. Mm-hmm. And um, when these people that I was pleasing, that I want acceptance from, they were doing things that, I mean, they're being human. They made mistakes, you know. They did a lot of things, you know, in the church that a lot of people don't like or they get upset, you know. A lot of times we think, you know, we got to find a lot of judgment, judgmental people that you think are supposed to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So for me, uh, I was just like, I, we're supposed to be doing good stuff. And, and the only solution I had to that, when the, and those disappointments and the resentment was to go back to what I knew and that was running the streets. I remember the insane thought that happened when I first picked up after not picking up for two and a half years was, you know, I'm young. I'll figure this thing out. What's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh 20 some years later. Um, and that's why I thought I figured this thing out and it took me about 20 some years to figure it out. But, so from that moment on, um, I was in my early twenties, freshly back out on the streets, ripping and running and drinking and gunning. And, you know, I built, I started building up more wreckage, getting in fights. It was just like high school all over again, fighting, partying, and just reckless behavior. And I did that for about a year. And, uh, then I, I knew I needed to cool out. People were going to jail. People were getting hurt. I had a couple of friends die, and uh, I needed to cool out. And I did my first geographical move. You know, that's what's going to fix me. I'm going to move to a different state, and mm-hmm. um, that's what's going to help me. And I, I ended up moving to Birmingham, Alabama, where I was raised or where I was born. And and I did the same thing. I, I went to church. I got sober. I started working out and doing some good things in the community and uh, and I did that for about a year and then I decided to come back to Portland just to visit and you know a lot of my old friends and I and and I just thought that I would be able to I'd be all right you know I didn't need no support system I just would be sober and things are going to go back to being good and I don't want to run the streets and by this time you know um, crystal meth was really big in Portland Oregon and uh, a buddy of mine had uh, made a lot of money selling it and you know hey you know you should just stay up here and let's just get this money <laughs> and, um, that's what we did you know i stayed there and we just partied we we had some toys and we just lived like we were in a jay-z video to be honest <laughs> and, uh, and i and and then i almost same thing happened you know i we're fighting all the time a little more dangerous things we're um, a lot of violent situations you know guns 
money, drugs, jewels, um, weapons, Dang. all those things, man. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I was like Scarface or anything like that, but, uh, it was a, it was, it was a dangerous situation. And, um, and again, I did that for about a year. And I remember my mom calling me and saying, Hey, you need to come up. You need to stop at the door and come see me in Alaska. And the first thing I thought was, Mom, you're crazy. I will never, ever go to Alaska. (laughs) And a week later, I'm on the plane going to Alaska. (laughs) Because I was hurting, man. My health was failing me. I was skinny. I was out of my mind, deranged, paranoid. I thought people were following me. A lot of people I knew were going to jail, so that just just added to my paranoia and then I came to Alaska and I saw my mom and I started going to church. I did the same thing with always go to church, get sober, start working and uh, things got, got good real fast. And, you know, and then um, the the one thing I did different, I remember coming up here and I was like, I, I was, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids or anything like that. I just, I just didn't want to die. I think that's what was it. And I started doing really good, man. At the time, I was training to uh, play semi-pro football. Oh, wow. And I, I was clean for about a year. I've, I met my wife, and we got engaged after two weeks of knowing each other. <laughs> and, wow, that was quick. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> those impulsive decisions we make, you know. And that was another thing. Wow, this is... It was like I, I was just doing things that still, I was still like that little get, little kid that was scared and still feeling that restlessness. And I needed something big. I needed something to to feed that desire. I needed that high, to mm. be honest. And um, I got married. We had kids. And three kids, you know, we, or she, was, she was pregnant within the first month of us uh, getting married, which was two months after we had met each other. <laughs> just a whirlwind, man. Mm. <laughs> And life actually life got really good, you know. She's a very hardworking woman. She has, she was firmly uh, firmly established in her career. We had a couple kids, and I was sur- uh, bartending and serving, going to school. And we had a pretty good thing. The only thing is, we we did party a lot, you know. We partied a lot, but she would get pregnant, and we wouldn't, you know what I mean. So we had three kids, and we had these periods of time where drama would happen, and. You, you know, the fight, um, I got a DUI, I kind of slowed me down a little bit. But the bottom line is, one one way or another for the next 10 years, um, alcohol just found a way back in my life. Drugs and alcohol found a way back in my life. And I was oblivious. I was just clueless to the fact that it was a problem, like that <laughs> drugs and alcohol was a problem. I felt as if, um, I can control my behavior or I just somehow get to this arrival of good behavior and then my life would be good. You know what I mean? All the problems would end and I'd feel okay. In 2015, my wife was pregnant with my, my six-year-old, my now five-year-old. And um, she, and, and our marriage was barely hanging on at this point. And uh, we were fighting a lot. And she had gone through back-to-back miscarriages. And we were drinking and I was doing other substances as well, and my son was born with uh, complex medical issues, heart heart condition. To make a long story short, with that, he needed a, a life-saving uh, heart transplant, 
and he got it. It was a miraculous miracle, you know, and, but, you know, there was a lot of trauma involved. He had coded six times, you know, mm. and we were beat up from our fights and our marriage that was falling apart. The only thing that was keeping us together was being there for the kid. And as he got better and stronger, we got worse when it came to drinking. And we were away from home for about two and a half years. We came back to Alaska in 2016. Boom, we just started fighting. I ended up leaving home. We were separated. I was living downtown. And that was the the worst year of my life, 2017, uh, my last year drinking and drugging. And I just remember that, you know, so I'm not a husband. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not with my kids right now. I'm on my own. But what am I? You know, who am I? I'm nothing. I don't know how to live without somebody else's uh, giving me an identification of who I am. Take away those titles. Take away the being a husband. Take away being a father. Take away being a football player. All these different things. And to me, I'm just that guy from the streets again. That's how I acted, you know. Now I'm, you know, like 30, almost 40 years old, and I'm acting like a 16-year-old. I'm partying, I'm fighting, beyond restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm just just a mess inside and outside. And this time, I knew that drugs and alcohol were a problem. And uh, this time, I couldn't stop, though, you know. And I remember, you know, clear as day, this image in my mind of sitting at the bar and knowing that I had to, I was going to be hanging out with my kids the next day and I needed to go home. I needed to go home. I'll go home. Don't start drinking. And I'm, uh, and I wanted to be sober at this time. Bad. As, as sincere as I am today, I wanted to be sober and I couldn't show up for them. And I, all of a sudden I was in a blackout and I woke up like four days later, like what in the world has happened? Not even knowing if my kids knew what happened, where they're at, if they came over or anything. And I knew I was in trouble. So that was a uh, that was rock bottom for me. That's when, you know, I I um, I tried to take my life. I took a like a bottle of pills and downed them with a half bottle, half fifth of uh, Jameson. And then I woke up three days later, and I was like, "Oh, I'm still here." And, mm. You know, uh, my days looked like I was either homicidal or suicidal, depending on the mixture of substances that were in my body. And I was out of hope. I was done. My wife, on the other hand, you know, she, she's, you know, when I moved, she had her own little uh, legal issues. She had to go through, had a DUI and stuff, but her solution was she found a recovery program and I found the bottle. She found a lot of relief. I didn't, but nine months into it, she had relapsed. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this was my chance to to go back to being a father because my kids need a parent, a sober parent. And I remember coming back home to take care of the kids primarily and white knuckling my way through seven days of sobriety, doing it on my own. And I had pulled out the Bible, pulled out all all the different stuff that I've learned in the past. And I'm scared, man, because I know that I've done this over and over again. So I needed to do something different. And so I picked up the phone and I called up a buddy that I knew that had some uh, long-term sobriety. Uh, he had found sobriety in a, a 12-step program. You know, he he began to give me little directions to do, you know, and little by slowly, you know, I walked into the same rooms where he got sober. And from that first meeting, I just 
said, okay, God, if I'm supposed to be here, I'm supposed to do this program, and you're going to have to just lead and guide me. And uh, little did I know that was that really set me free, that willingness to go to any length. And uh, because I left that room knowing that that was the program for me, that I I had hope again. I I just believed because I seen, I heard my story from all different types of people, but I heard my story and it, you know, same people that were, that had the same feelings that I had of um, that void, that restlessness, that irritability, that discontent. And I was just left that meeting like, man, alcohol is the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Drugs are the problem. I was just blown away. I was just, you know, and uh, now I'm in the, in the program and, you know, um, I go, I say yes to my recovery. Bottom line is I say yes. Everything that's connected to my recovery, I say yes to. And everything that I have right now is because of my recovery from my job, meeting you. Um, you know, my, my wife is in recovery as well. We're doing great. But it's work, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's how what's brought me to this point now so you said that you found a 12-step program so is that what drives your recovery right now what does your recovery look like i mean how do you keep the momentum and you know just live day to day so my my what drives my recovery today is you know is my relationship with god my relationship with my higher power and that's, I've always had that, you know, it's just, it's just amazing that, um, you know, from that moment that I found, um, like I was connected to God and I found God hitting my knees in my room by myself, you know, I was 18 years old, you know, opened this door, like, and it connected me, but I just couldn't stay sober. I just didn't know how to stay sober and I always get in trouble that way. And so today, um, yeah, you know, the driving force behind my recovery is definitely, God, my relationship with God, but I have to do my program. I have to run these steps. I have to wake up in the morning. I have to pray. I have to get my mind in a a mode of where I turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I understand him by doing that. Then I can get direction. So what did I, I need, I need my program that, that makes sure God stays first in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how my recovery comes in. My recovery is um, a foolproof plan that puts God in proper alignment to me and me in proper alignment to God's children, you know, all mm-hmm. my fellow men. Um, and that's, and that's simple. It sounds, it sounds so simple, but it is, it's not easy, but it's simple. Uh, I have to wake up and pray. That's the, you know, whether I feel it or not. My 12-step program has taught me that whether I'm feeling it or not, I can still get the results of my recovery if I take action. When I don't feel like praying, I still just take the action. When I don't feel like going to a meeting, I still take the action. When I still, when I don't feel like calling somebody, reaching out to people that may need my help, I still take the action, you know? And it's gotten to a point, this is funny, man. I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was having a bad day just yesterday, and... um I was not, I just wasn't feeling anything. I was feeling disconnected. Um, I was feeling, you know, it got to the point where I started feeling like just crazy, you know, just like insane thoughts were coming to my head. Like this is my recovery isn't real or who am I to think that I can reach out to people? And, you know, I just had this thinking, thinking, man. And I wasn't going to call nobody. I wasn't going to reach out and I wasn't going to pray, but 
um, that momentum that you talked about, you know, I've done so much for my recovery. I've said yes so many times that God does for me what I can't do for myself. And what that looks like is somebody calling me, then a newcomer that's new to recovery calling me and saying, hey, can you pick me up for a meeting? And I've already learned that I say yes. I take the action. I said yes. Right after that, a guy that I'm working with in two, two back-to-back phone calls, three phone calls all together. So the next two calls were guys that I'm working on steps with in the program. And we're like, and we just talked out and instantly I'm out of my head. Instantly I'm out of my stinking thinking. Instantly I'm out of Rob's. Instantly I'm not that little kid who's restless, irritable, and discontent. And I'm walking in the sunlight of the spirit, man. I'm connected. Connected with people. I'm connected with people that need my help. I'm working in my primary purpose. And that, and that's how recovery works for me, man. When it's weren't, even when I don't want to do it, you know, mm-hmm. I said yes enough to where it works for me. <laughs> I have a question for you. Um, yeah. You are deep into the the twelve step program. What if somebody came to you and said, you know, I don't like that. I don't like. There's certain things that I don't like about twelve step program. This and that, or whatever. Do you, how do you, how do you, um, guide them or, or how do you help them? Do you let them make their own decisions and, you know, what do you do? That's a great question. That's an awesome question. I love this question because this happens a lot. Uh, there's people that do, do not care about, I know people that don't agree with God, don't even, don't even believe in God, don't believe in the higher power, people that don't believe in the steps, you know, but. I still can apply these principles that I've learned to anything, you know. Um, if I, I, the thing is, I'm not in control of somebody's recovery. I'm not in control of people, places, and things. And that's what I learned, you know. I, it, but I am in control of how I show up for people. And I don't care what you are, who you are, I can show grace and love and tolerance to you and help you from where you're at without trying to run the show for you and what I've learned is that's how it's supposed to be you know um, it's none of my business about what your preferences are all I can do is show you what's worked for me show you um, maybe help you apply it to your life and life if you don't I, we still can be cool man I still my code is love and tolerance you mm-hmm. know what I mean so you encourage yeah. them then Absolutely. 110% in, in any capacity I can, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't step on people, man. We don't, we're here to build people up. And I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about how they go about recovery. But um, what I believe, what I'm truly convinced is that um, recovery is just as vast as personalities. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not in control of that. <laughs> I know. I, I asked somebody to be on uh, a guest on my show and, and they were like, absolutely not. I don't believe in, you know, you know, they, they mentioned the 12 step program and whatever. And then I, I tried to try to say, you know, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to do is show, uh, you know, everybody out there that there's different ways of doing it, not just one way, right. you know, and Absolutely. try to encourage, you know, the possibility of sobriety in somebody that's struggling, you know. I mean, yeah, I think people just get caught up. I think people just get caught up um, wanting to have the answer all the time. <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah. so they feel like there's pressure to give this. Well, this is how you have to do it. This is the answer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, well, 
you don't have the answer and it's okay that you don't have the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's in your, what's in store for your future? Oh man. Um, right now, let's see for the future, you know, um, this is so, you know, I, just like you, I'm pretty, I'm actually new to recovery. Two years isn't, isn't a long time to recovery. So man, I've just been keeping it simple and I take things one day at a time, man. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm, you know, and especially in this COVID season, man, like everything is so new. There's just so many people that need help. There's so many different ways to do it. I'm just blessed that I'm in a position, you know, where I work that, um, I can, that I'm useful. And I know it kind of sounds like a canned answer, but my truth honestly is I do the work. I do the inner work in myself, making sure I'm cleaning, keeping my side of the street clean, making sure that I'm taking the right action so that I can be more useful. You know, right now um, they have me working down at uh, the aviator hotel. It's been converted into kind of like a, a, like a transitional living for what? Are you serious? Population. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Right, right. Yeah, because this COVID thing, you know, they have all the um, they have you know like nine hundred people down at the Sullivan. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh huh. And so they threw the 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 people there. You know, they referred about a hundred of them to the aviator people that are you know kind of ready for work and looking for just assistance to get on their feet. And, uh, man, I've had the privilege, the wonderful privilege of being down there, providing peer support, providing rides, providing talk, um, group, just, just helping the case manager, just directing traffic between mm -hmm. case managers and the clients down there. And man, I think that it's well onto something with this, with this program. Wow. That's so encouraging to think of they're actually doing something now to help the homeless people and transitioning into, you know, better lives. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, and they're right there, you know, we, we bring them in there, they come, they do their intake, and you see, we move all their stuff into these rooms, and you just look at their face, and you're like, oh, my gosh, man, this is really amazing. And, um, you know, the majority of them that are there are just so thankful. And, um, you know, we hook them up with bus passes, with cell phones, and um, uh, clothing vouchers, mm -hmm. and just get the basic necessities, you know, um, help them fill out resumes and get them to their appointments and get them um, their, take care of their medical stuff. Wow. You know, these are people that haven't been taking care of themselves for a long time, so they need the basics. And that's, sometimes that's all you need, and uh, so it's, it's been a joy to watch a lot of them. Right now, you know, I'm like, I think we, we just finished the first month. And just last week, I, I took three guys to um, to job interviews. Wow. And um, so, yeah, it's been, that's that's what I'm doing. That's my baby right now. Yeah. That is so cool. So, Rob, I have this question that I ask everyone. What would you say to someone who is currently struggling with alcohol or drug addiction? Somebody that's struggling with alcohol or drug addiction, the first thing I would say is to not give up. Don't give up hope. Um, you might feel like you're broken. You might feel like you're busted and you're disgusted with yourself and you don't think there's a way out. But 
I promise you that it is the foundation where you can build a new life for yourself. Reach out to people that have been there. There's a lot of people. I'm sure there's somebody in your life right now that you know that have been where you have been and reach out to them, you know, and get into the the recovery community because you don't ever have to be alone. You don't got to do it by yourself. That's what I would tell them. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rob. I know we're coming down to the last minutes, but, um, I do a segment in the show where I ask you if you have something amazing or crazy or funny um, that has happened to you either while you were still out there or currently in your recovery. Just to end uh, the show on a lighter note, do you have anything that comes to mind? Like something funny? Yeah. <laughs> like a crazy like a crazy story that I've yeah. that gone through or something? Funny or amazing, you know, whatever. Okay. Oh, man, everything's been so amazing. You know, I... I could, but uh, I could go on about like the little ripple effects of people that I've met that had connections here and had connections there. Those are amazing things, and I get that all the time now. I think I'll just tell you a, a funny story, maybe from my past. Yeah, let's see, school. let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this has got to be one of the craziest stories. We, I think I was a junior, my junior year in high school, and my buddy was having a party. His parents were out of town. And there was a bunch of us that showed up there. And uh, before we go there, though, uh, we wanted to make sure we had a lot of liquor, you know what I mean, a lot of beer. Uh-huh. And so we did a we did a few beer runs, right? And I'm sure everybody's over. We walked into the store, grabbed a couple cases, and ran out. And did that. Went to another store, grabbed a couple cases, ran out. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so we get to this party, and. Um, you know, we're having a good time, and then all of a sudden the cops show up, and everybody takes off. We take it out, take it. We we run out the backyard, and we run, we run, we run, we get away, and so we're like, I don't know what happened. Call call the let's call this house. This is when no one had cell phones. You call people's house. <laughs> so uh, I turned around. I called. I called the house, and uh, and uh, the person that answered the phone it was one of the cops. And I just played along like I didn't know who it was. And uh, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Are your parents, did your parents leave? Or can we come over? They're like, yeah, come over. We did a beer run and everybody's here. And he's naming off people that are at the party. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're on our way. And uh, just make sure everybody's quiet because my parents are going to drop me off. <laughs> and the cop goes, oh, your parents are going to drop you off? And I'm like, yeah, my parents are going to drop me off. And he's like, well, maybe you shouldn't come because this is officer. So he tried to get us. He tried, and I knew you. And so that sneaky was man, really, really <laughs> sneaky. And, and the, 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 this is this is the kicker. So now we're stuck. We're like stuck out in the boonies somewhere, and we don't have a ride. So we start walking to back home, where it's like maybe twenty miles. These cops pull us over, man. These cops pull us over. And a buddy of mine is just like blackout drunk. Yeah. The cops are talking to us. I'm going to make up this story about, I don't even know what I said, but they were, they offered to give us a ride home. So we get in this car, <laughs> they give us a ride home. And on the way there, they have to flip the lights on. And so we're doing like a hundred some miles because they had some emergency that they had to go take care of. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're we're literally on the highway doing over a hundred miles an hour. The sirens going, and my buddy's like passed out drunk next to me. Oh, <laughs> There's like three of us, <laughs> uh, and we they dropped us off. 
went home yeah, and we laughed. Dang. <laughs> we they didn't like cite, were, cite you or anything like that? No, they didn't even know. They had no idea. <laughs> oh, we, we absolutely fooled, we fooled them. We, I don't know how my buddy was like stumbling <laughs> and he doesn't even remember the incident to this day. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. yeah, that was a typical weekend in high school. Oh, crazy. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. That's an awesome I hope that's story. crazy enough for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you sharing your story with me Definitely. and the world. Um, yeah. I know your story will bring hope to someone that is still struggling out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, and I appreciate you having me here. I'm super proud of you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm, uh, I know it's going to touch lives as well. All right, Rob. Take care. All right. Take care, brother. If you're a person in recovery who would like to share their journey or know a person in recovery, get a hold of me at anonymouseskimopodcast at gmail.com. That's anonymouseskimopodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. So we can maybe bring hope to someone still struggling. If you'd like to help get the word out, share this link. And whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Amazon, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, rate this podcast, and write a review. Listen next week when I have another strong person who is walking with us on this recovery journey. Bilra, Maxachten. Maxachten.